It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $5 into 200. That's 40 to 1 odds on any basketball game. All you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy, and if that team wins, you receive $200 in free credits. That's right. Pick any team still in contention, bet $5, and if that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $5 into $200 in free credits. Bet on a basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you can claim $200 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out and site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. How are you doing today, buddy? Well, I'm going to be eating for the first part of this, but I'll try to uh, mute my mic and eat off camera as much as possible because I haven't eaten yet today, and I worked this morning, so that's how I'm doing today. Uh, other than that, you know what? The Penguins can be depressing at times. Um, it hurts. It sucks, but... Uh, you got to gain that confidence somewhere, and I'm hoping for everyone, and I'm hoping for myself, that this episode is the place. Yeah, hopefully we can reassure you that the Pittsburgh Penguins are not out of the playoffs as of yet, as the series is tied two games apiece, heading back to Pittsburgh for Game 5, a very pivotal Game 5, but on deck for today, we have a review of Saturday's Game 4. Obviously, it was not the result that anybody in Penguins land had hoped for, but at the end of the day, it was still a game. So we'll get under all of that review and talk about all of whatever happened on Saturday, which there was a lot that happened for the Islanders, not much for the Penguins. And then in the second segment, we're going to preview the Penguins-Islanders Game 5 coming up on Monday evening, as well as a check-in on our playoff picks. The, the playoffs are a week into existence this year. And we're going to check in to see how our predictions are doing in the first round. And then, of course, it's a Monday episode, so we will finish off with our weekly pens poll. But let's start it off with a review of Game 4. The Penguins with a fantastic opportunity to take a commanding 3-1 to series lead on the New York Islanders. Unfortunately, that's not how the game went. They lose by a score of 4-1. to After a scoreless first period, Josh Bailey was able to capitalize on a little bit of a net front scrum between Chris Letang and and Anthony Beauvillier that had Tristan Jari out of position. Bailey was able to wire it past Jari and make it a 1-0 lead for the New York Islanders. And then a little bit later, Ryan Pulock for the New York Islanders made it 2-0 just before the end of the second period. In the third period, Oliver Wallstrom got his first career NHL goal to make it 3-0 for the Islanders. And then Jordan Eberle, who we have expected to be a Penguins killer this entire time, 
finally gets on the board in game four, making it four to nothing. And at that point, it was basically all over but the crying for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Luckily, Zach Aston Reese was able to pot his first career NHL playoff goal thanks to a really good play by Brian Dumoulin jumping up in the rush. The Penguins were able to shut, not even shut, but end Ilya Sorokin's shutout bid, get a goal, get a little bit of momentum going into game five. But nonetheless, they finished the game, like I said earlier, with a 4-1 to loss. Horwat, what were your overall thoughts on this game? I mean, before we even get into that, what did you think heading into this game? Did you have a good feeling about Game 4 for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yeah, I did. I thought we uh, handled the situation just fine in Game in game 3 because that was a pretty big situation. Um, it was good to come out of there with a win. I mean, I guess I should have expected a little less because the Islanders are a team that can bounce back, especially in their own in their home arena. Um, yeah, I think I may have just expected more and was very disappointed, but... Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Plus, the the beginning of the game looked great. We looked great through the first 10. Hell, looked good through the whole first period, really. We just couldn't um, capitalize on an early one, which may have been the downfall because, I mean, without watching any of the replays, I'm just kind of cycling cycling through the NHL apps. I don't know how many people actually use this, but that game flow thing. I've looked at it a couple times. It can be pretty interesting. It's it's very interesting, especially if you look at – yesterday's game for for us and uh yeah it looks like we dominated the first period did not so well in the second definitely tailed off at the end of the second but played strong in the third as well so i don't know if i mean we definitely didn't play strong in the third for real so i don't exactly know what uh how good this game flow is but i mean all in all what i'm trying to get at is we looked good in the first period and it was killer that we couldn't capitalize on it Yeah, I feel like the Penguins didn't look great in that first 10 minutes. They were able to weather the storm from the New York Islanders because the Islanders came out like a house of fire once again, similar to how they came out in Game 3. The big issue in the first 10 minutes was Evgeny Malkin was in the penalty box in two different occasions, and that became an issue over the game because he took another minor penalty later in the game. So finishing with three minors, six penalty minutes, and luckily for the first one, he took Kyle Clutterbuck with him, but the other two put the Penguins shorthanded. The Penguins... A big story in this game was their discipline and an even bigger moment in the third period when you're down two to nothing, you get on the power play for the first time. Jason Zucker takes that tripping penalty. No matter how ticky tack it is, that's a penalty that is going to get called every time. You saw the stick or Zucker's stick in the Islanders defenseman's skates and then he went down. That's going to get called every time and the Penguins first power play opportunity was dead before it even started and then Chris Letang takes a mind numbing play and an awful interference penalty to put the Penguins shorthanded and eventually would pretty much end the game with Oliver Wallstrom's goal, technically Teddy Bluger's own goal. And it's just the Penguins seemed like they had carryover from Game 3, whereas the Islanders, they really didn't. They came out, and a lot of people were upset about the officiating. I thought the officiating was fairly consistent in this game. They were not going to call anything small. And if you look at the Penguins' penalties, they're pretty blatant penalties so I thought the officiating was consistent not to say that it was good but it was at least consistent in this game yeah it definitely was I mean the Islanders just didn't play their game they they maybe that threw us through maybe that threw us off a little bit I mean they you know weren't being super you know in your face super grimy but I mean I don't know what it could have been I mean let's start with 
dear God, Tristan Jari needs to get his head in the game. In the game. I think that was one of my big takeaways overall from the whole game is that he's continuously um, reaching out for Islander players, trying to push them off of their stride, like make them get out of position. He's pushing himself so far out of position with all these. I'm not saying they're leading directly to goals, but he's very focused on not the puck, it seems. It seems every goal he's giving up. I mean, yeah, every fan does this. You kind of glance for what could have been wrong because you don't want to be giving up the goal. But he is, Jari seems to genuinely be looking for calls every time he gives up a goal when, let's be honest, most of the time you just got to suck it up and, you know, make the damn save. So unless I'm, you know, in the wrong here for saying that, which I could be and I will admit that, but that's just what I've noticed out of Jari is that he, A, needs to be better. I said, I said that after last game. And... You know, he's got to actually play the game, not be trying to get in the Islanders' heads. So this is the first postseason for Tristan Jari as a number one starter. This is the first actual postseason for Tristan Jari. Last year, he was the backup to Matt Murray. He got in that last game against Montreal, played a pretty good game. But in this postseason now, he's allowed four goals in three of the four games. And of course, the other one being a one goal allowed performance in game two. How confident are you in him going into Game 5? Because this is a huge game. This is pivotal because not only is it a tied series, Game 5 is always pretty pivotal when it's a tied series, but it's on home ice. And if you lose that, you have to go back to Long Island, which is not an easy place to play. We just found that out in Games 3 and 4. You'd have to go back to Long Island, down three games to two. So this is a huge game. This is as must-win as a must-win game could get without it being an elimination game. How much do you trust Tristan Jari going into it? Because we know he's going to be the starter. But is there a little doubt in in your mind specifically about him starting in Game 5? I don't think I've trusted a Penguins goalie in the playoffs since 2009, to be fair. <laughs> um, just There's something about that. Maybe 2010. I, just Flurry being openly bad in the playoffs to... Matt Murray being a rookie for two years to Matt Murray being bad for a couple of years to now Jari. I've really, that, that's just my personal opinion. I haven't had full trust in our goalie since maybe 2009, maybe Murray's second year, but even then Flurry was playing hot at the beginning of that. So that's really how I stand on our goalies because A, I just get very nervous because I know our goalies are great, but it's the playoffs. Every shot could go in and make the, make it a different game. So that's my eyes. Do I have confidence in him? Absolutely, I do. If he's not being a head case, I guess. I mean, a head case might be the wrong word, but if he's just able to stay in his net and play his game, he's fine. That's all he's got to focus on. Usually, Tristan Jari is pretty stoic, and I think that's a pretty good word to use for it. He's stoic in the net because nothing really seems to bother him. And I know that's a point of contention among the organization that sometimes it seems like it goes too far where he needs to start showing emotion. So I'm sure they're not upset at the fact that he's starting to show a little bit of emotion, but you would hope that that emotion comes out when he's playing well as, as well. So you're just hoping that he can get his footing under him. I still think that he is, well, clearly he's the best option the Penguins have, but I also think that he's still a good goaltender. A lot of those goals in game number four, you know, the first goal he was bumped. He was out of position because he was bumped out of position, and that's Chris Letang's fault. The third goal, okay, Teddy Bluger basically 
deflected it in for him. I think the only goal that was pretty clean off of him was the Jordan Eberle goal. That's the only one that you can really look at and say, okay, where was his positioning? Could he have made a save there? But even the Pulak one, there there was screens in front. I don't think the Penguins did a really good job at all of protecting the crease for him. And that's something that's been an issue throughout the entirety of the season. But you do simply need better from your goaltender in a postseason. There, there can't be excuses. And I know you're talking about trusting a goaltender. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're never going to get to the point with Tristan Jari, at least in the near future, at least in this playoffs, as to where, say, Jets fans are with Connor Hellebuck. There, there's not going to come a point where that happens in this postseason. But you need Tristan Jari to be able to make those kind of saves. And I think in the first period, he played pretty well. He was stout and didn't allow any goals. Even in the second period, when the Islanders were controlling the pace of play pretty much entirely, I thought Tristan Jari stood pretty well against that as well until the Josh Bailey goal, of course. But you just can't allow four goals in three games. It's something where it doesn't matter how the pucks went in. It's just something that can't happen. And I will give it to him. He's being unfairly judged by NBC for his glove side. Oh, because very much so. He, he's given up one goal since game one on the glove side, realistically. And they're talking as if this has been an issue for all four games. No, he just had one bad game, and now all of a sudden it's the scouting report. It's a very, very lazy job and a lazy scouting report by NBC. But in reality, he does need to be better in all facets of the game. I thought his puck handling was a little suspect on on Saturday as well, which is something that you can kind of notice if Tristan Jari is in the game. His puck handling is at a higher level, and I didn't think it was there in Game 4. The Penguins use that a lot in their breakout, and, and the defensemen rely on that at some points for their breakout. So they need him to get back into the game with both the breakout and his puck handling as well as you know his overall game. I, I think... He'll be able to come back, and I've seen it over the season that he's been able to come back after poor performances. So I have faith that he'll be able to do that in Game 5, and I think the whole team will be able to bounce back a little better than what they showed on Saturday, but you need to at this point. It's as do or die as it can be without an elimination game, like I said earlier. For sure, and I fully hope they will. I just looked, checked out Ticketmaster just to get an idea. I believe it's, from what's left at least, it looks like it's going to be 50% capacity again. Yeah. Um, so there it goes. Darn it. I was hoping for that full capacity. uh, Yeah, I felt like that was a pipe dream ever since Morehouse brought that up. It's because the timing of it's weird. I mean, a lot of things are changing in Pennsylvania, and I think, like, June 1st is a big change date. Mm -hmm. And we're just, you know, Game 5 is May 24th, so he's just a week week shy of really being able to do it. Maybe he meant Game 5 of, sorry, maybe he meant Game 5 of the second round. He said... I think the interview said round one, but either way, regardless. Um, yeah, no, that was a long shot anyway, but uh, it was always wishful thinking. And, you know, in this day and age, it's something to get the fans excited about at least, right? I mean, at least we are very, at least we are playing well enough that, um, you know, we weren't solely focused on, like, let's at least get to game five. We'll see a full arena before. At least we don't have that to worry about, right? I mean, this is the yeah. first time in since 2018 that we're playing more than four postseason games. Yeah. It's let's the first time we've a, seen a game five since 2018. Let's enjoy it for a moment. Just just a yeah. moment, not long, but like let's just appreciate that we're playing some extra hockey this year as opposed to the last as opposed to last season and then the season before that. 
You know, something's looking a little better here. And if any, and if all else fails, we look a hell of a lot better than the Capitals right now. At this moment, we do. And remember, we're also recording this before their game five. So we'll, we'll see if they're even still in contention whenever exactly. this actually I'm, comes out. I'm and just if reading not, my crystal ball here. Yeah, you're just hoping <laughs> that they lose. I mean, it'd be nice for me. I'd also win my bet with Hockey Troll, but that's yeah. something that I'm not too worried about right now. I'm more worried about the Pittsburgh Penguins and their performance. But let's talk a little bit about the first line because I don't want to be the type of person that only brings up the first line's issues in the offensive zone whenever the Penguins lose. But it's getting to a point of being pretty glaring after four games in the postseason and only producing two goals. And specifically the fact that it was game one for Crosby, and he hasn't had a point since. And it was game two for Rust. Neither, nobody on that line had any points in or on Long Island. So, to me, I think the Islanders, with that last change, were able to match up with the Penguins and really shut down that first line. And that was a big point of contention as to why these games were as close as they were. Because if the Penguins could get any production out of their first line, their game three would not have been close. And game four would have been a lot closer. So what do you think about the first line as of right now? And do you think it's an issue that is going to need to be addressed? Or do you think they're just going to, it's just a matter of time and they're getting to their game? It, if you look at things, I mean, if you look at the numbers, it really looks like it's just a sense of it's a matter of time. Because... You know, Gensel's leading the series in shots. Crosby has got 14, which is second on the team. Yeah, which is second on the Penguins. Um, and pretty high up series-wise. And then there's Rust, who has 10 himself. Yeah, Crosby and Rust both have a goal. Gensel only has an assist to his name. But something's got to break through. I mean, these guys have the most shifts out of anyone on the team, it seems. Out of forwards. They're shooting the puck more than anyone. It's just they're getting shut down by something, and no one. It's it's hard to tell exactly what it is because I don't think they've really been line matched that much, right? I mean, who? I think the fourth line of the Islanders has been on the ice for the majority of the time against the Penguins' first line, but I've also seen the Barzell line go up against them on several occasions, at least when they were on Long Island. The Barzell line was matched up against them several times. If it is any consolation to this series right now, it's that we have not let Barzal score yet. And he's looked, not, I'm not going to say Barzal's looked bad, but he is. he has looked off his game, like to the point where I'm getting mad at him. Yeah. Like... I think I said out loud to whenever Matt Barzal was deciding to not shoot the puck. I think I even said, shoot it, you idiot, <laughs> against my own team because he's one of the most talented goal scorers in the league and is quite literally refusing to shoot the puck. I digress. Back to the Penguins because they they're not refusing to shoot the puck. They're just not putting it in. And there's something going on with that, right? Yeah, there's a couple of players that I would say refuse to shoot the puck. Mike Matheson, namely, he had a yeah. couple opportunities early in Game 4 and trying to pass it again. He had one backhand opportunity that, listen, you might not trust your backhand like Sidney Crosby, but trying to send a pass through three New York Islanders instead is is not going to help. You're you're better off sending a pass off the pads and hoping somebody deflects it in like Teddy Bluger did on the, the Islanders' third goal. So the Penguins, I think, haven't gotten enough opportunities. They definitely didn't get enough opportunities in game four. And that's going to hurt them whenever they're already struggling to put them in the back of the net against a team that suffocates you and takes those opportunities away. 
So when you get them, you have to take them. And I don't think the Penguins were able to do that on Saturday afternoon. Now, here's also kind of a point of contention for the Pittsburgh Penguins is they don't play well in afternoon games to begin with. Yeah, no. They don't. And it showed on Saturday. They came out. I thought they came out flat. And I thought the Islanders came out exactly how I predicted the Islanders were going to come out. They're going to come out exactly how they did in game three. They're going to come out physical. They're going to come out faster. And they're they're going to use up a lot of their energy in the first 10 minutes to take a lot of the momentum. And they did exactly that. But the Penguins were able to weather that storm, take basically the next six or seven minutes, and have a lot of opportunities on Ilya Sorokin, not able to beat him. And then I think the last three or four minutes were pretty evenly played between the two teams. It was a decent first period. It was a picture, you know, exactly what you expect a Penguins first period in an afternoon game to be. A sluggish start, but them eventually getting their feet going. And then at that point, it all became a Penguins afternoon game because the last 40 minutes of play were the worst 40 minutes of play in this series so far for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they lost an opportunity to get a 3-1 to lead on a very good hockey team. So now you're bringing it down to a best of three. You do have home ice advantage. We will say that because before the Penguins went on the road, what did you say, Horwat? If we can get a split on Long Island, I'll take it because then we get home ice advantage back and it's best of three. And I'll take my team over their team in a best of three with home advantage. I didn't really know I said that, but hell yeah. All right, go me. <laughs> Look, I'm just looking into the crystal ball all over the place, aren't I? Wait until we get to those playoff predictions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good to get home ice back. That is huge because... Every time we've had an interview talking about the Islanders, I've asked about the Coliseum, you know, and then how much of a difference it makes, especially this this postseason, given the circumstances of attendance. you got to take advantage of home ice as much as you can. The players and coaches and writers continue to say, hey, home ice advantage really means something. Well, then let's actually see it. Let's get a good job done on uh, Monday, tomorrow, today, and let's... Yeah, see what we can do back in in Long Island. I don't care how they say it or not say it. Um, back at the Coliseum, let's see what we can do. We know we can win there. We've done it before. Hell, we did it a good amount of times during the regular season the past few years. It's They're not an unbeatable drag, the Islanders. They may play like it sometimes. They may look like it. They may make us feel like it. But they're a beatable team. If we can get a hold of Game 5 and do something big and gain momentum, not just win, but get a momentum gaining win that could say something for game six. Yeah. I, I think the last thing I want to mention about game number four is it was very nice of the Islanders to invite the New York football jets there so they could actually experience what it's like to watch a winning sports organization. God, that, that quarterback's a 12 year old, isn't he? he? He does look like he's five. He, I mean, he's probably, Born in like 2001. He's 21. I, I, I did look it up yesterday. He's only 21. So he was born in 2000. 1999. Oh, okay. So we're not that old yet. Yeah. Like he's going to be <laughs> but, turning 22, I guess is what that means, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something like that. I don't know. But definitely not the best game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A 4-1 to loss. Not great performances from the top line. A very undisciplined performance by 58-71. and 71. Shocker. But we turn the page. Yeah. We turn the page to game five but we're going to take a quick break before that when we come back we're previewing game five and also taking a look at our playoff predictions and how they stand a week into the 2021 stanley cup playoffs we'll be right back 
Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. Of course, this is Nick Berlansky and Nick Horwat breaking down a preview for Game 5 on Monday evening, a pivotal Game 5 for the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are tied in their first round series with the New York Islanders following a 4-1 to loss on Saturday afternoon. It sets up a huge Game 5 Horwat. Luckily, this Game 5 is in Pittsburgh. This is what we wanted in the regular season. We wanted home ice advantage for moments like this to have these games in front of our own fans in front of 50% capacity at PPG mm-hmm. Paints Arena, which is, it, it's still good. I know a lot of people wanted that 100%. I thought it was unrealistic for David Morehouse to say so. Who knows where that actually is, but it seems like it's going to be 50% capacity on Monday evening. The Penguins are going to need to come out firing with a much better performance. And honestly, if you look back at this specific team, this year's team, and the way that they bounced back after pretty bad losses... I have a lot of confidence that they're going to bring home a win in game five. I mean, three instances that I highlighted, they lost two to nothing on a Sunday afternoon game on Long Island to the New York Islanders and Ilya Sorokin shut them down. The Islanders played the game they want to play. Very reminiscent of what we saw on Saturday. They came back with a five to two win against the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay. There's one instance. They lost eight to four to the New York Rangers. They come back against that same team and are able to win again by a score of 5-2 to two on the road at Madison Square Garden. And the last one I want to highlight, now they didn't lose this game, but they won the game 7-6 to six over the New Jersey Devils, but gave up six goals in the third period. Oh, and Tristan right. Jari specifically looked extremely poor in that third period. And what did they do? They came back, and they win by a score of 5-1. to one. Jari looks much better, and they beat the New Jersey Devils two days later. This team has been able to bounce back from poor performances, in the past during this season. They've been able to just leave it be and say that's been one game. It's in the past. It counts as one goal. Let's try to win the next one. They've been able to do that throughout the season. They're tasked with doing that again here in Game 5 after a poor performance on Saturday in Game 4. I fully believe that they're going to be able to come out and at the very least show a much better performance. I think we're going to see more of the team that we saw in Games 2 and 3 than of the team we saw in games one and four. I think that's a given. Now, whether or not it's enough, that's a different story. Horal, what say you? I can agree with you. It's, I like that you found instances of bounce back because it has been a season of just, well, yesterday was weird. Here we are. We're back. We are the Penguins still. Mm-hmm. And it does need to be more of that. It does need to be you know, more of a we know we're a good team. Let's not have this whole aura surrounding us. Let's just break past the first round. You know, enjoy the game of hockey for a little bit. Enjoy watching and playing it, and you know, give something to this team. It's. I think they can totally do it. I am confident in the team. Like I said, am I fully confident in Jari? Not yet. I need to see if he's at, if his head is actually in the game and not worried about the pushing and shoving he's going to get because. Buddy, it's only the first round. If you can't handle the Islanders doing it to you, I don't know how you'll handle seven games with the Capitals or or Bruins, if that's the honest case. But 
he's so he's got to prove to me that he's able to get out of that headspace, you know, in game five. It cannot go any further. Um, yeah, if with the crowd behind him, if we can get a good crowd in there, you know, it's not a hundred percent. If we can get the nine th- the nine thousand plus people that um, are gonna be into it, are gonna make it feel like an entire an entire audience, then there's something to be said about that. Like I said. If, I said it in the last segment, if we can make it a uh, momentum-gaining victory, then that should be something to really carry forward with and something that we could take into Game 6 um, and put up a good game on the road. As for Game 5, come out strong. Score first. That's the main idea here. You know, mm-hmm. We don't want to play their game, but scoring first, getting an insurance, squeaking a third one. I mean, we got to get ahead of them. That's all it is. We gotta get ahead, play ahead, and not lose a lead because they are a stranglehold team. But um, we can't go far behind on them. Yeah, it's almost oversimplified when it comes to the game plan for the Penguins to win Game Five. Play with the lead. It's something that we have said the entire series. If you're gonna beat this team, you need to force them to play from behind. And you mentioned in the first segment that they didn't play that chippy game. They weren't really going after the Penguins after the whistle. They weren't doing anything that was pseudo-dirty because they had the lead or they were tied. They would never trailed in this game. So they didn't have the need to do that because they can play the way they want to play as long as their number on the scoreboard is higher than yours. And that's the reason in Game 3 that they got chippy. That's the reason in Game 2 that they got chippy because they were playing without the lead. They were playing from behind. So if you force this team to play from behind, they unravel a little bit. Now, they're a little bit more comfortable in that fire and blaze of fights and knuckles than the Pittsburgh Penguins are, but you're still forcing them to play that style of game and not be able to play the style of game that has made them so successful the past couple postseasons, and that's playing with the lead, suffocating their opponent, and just draining the life out of a game. That's what they're good at. And they can only do that if they're winning. So clearly, when the first goal scorer of every game has led to that team winning, it's important to score the first goal. That's an almost an oversimplification. Also, you need your top players to step up. We talked about the first line in the first segment. Only two goals accounted for in four games is not enough. Jake Gensel having zero goals and one assist, not enough. Crosby, one goal, no assists. Also, not enough. Evgeny Malkin had two assists in game three. That's great. That's, you know, the way he played, he doesn't necessarily need to put goals in, but the way he played in game four, it was not enough for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Zucker needs to be better. Kapanen, I thought Kapanen actually played a pretty good game on Saturday. I'm not going to lie. I thought he was one of the bright spots. If he would have scored on that opening opportunity that Malkin fed him in about two minutes into the game, it would have been a completely different afternoon for the Penguins. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to beat Sorokin. But the Penguins' top players need to be the Penguins' top players. That also falls back on Chris Letang. He's had a great postseason up until Saturday. Saturday was an absolutely abysmal game. He needs to forget about it and come out and be the Chris Letang of games one through three for the Pittsburgh Penguins to have success here. So play with the lead and have your top players be the best players on the ice. And you should be winning game five. You should be heading back to Long Island with a 3-2 series lead and an opportunity to close out the Coliseum the best way the Penguins know how. Hey, if Mellon Arena had to suffer the suffer a loss in its last game, so should the Coliseum. Most arenas do, if you really think about it. Oh, 
Yeah, I'm trying to think of like all the famous ones that have closed. I mean, the Joe, that team sucked, so they didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> uh, anybody else remember the, like, the Canadians' old barns last game? The Montreal Forum. Forum. Uh, uh, yeah, Maple I'm, Leaf I'm, Gardens. I'm, sure. I'm sure all these places, you know. Unless you literally win the Stanley Cup in the last year of the arena, more than likely you ended with a loss. I mean, unless you were just a bad team that didn't make the playoffs that year and happened to win your last home game. But I digress here. Yeah, shut it down. Shut that ranky-ass stadium down. <laughs> shut it down the best way possible. Well, for them to do that, they got to win in Game 5. And for them to win in Game 5, they're going to have to beat Ilya Sorokin. And Sorokin, he's 2-0 in these playoffs. So, you know, undoubtedly helping the New York Islanders. He's 2-0. Varlamov is 0-2. And we mentioned it when we were on the Locked On Penguins podcast with Hunter Hodes last week following Game 3. If Barry Trotz is going to go to Ilya Sorokin in Game 4, he's going to have to stick with him the rest of the series. Now, clearly, he doesn't fall under the rules that we set. But a common, you know, brained hockey mind would say you probably have to stick with Sorokin through thick and thin at this point and it worked out in game four so clearly we're probably going to see Ilya Sorokin for game five and I would be surprised that we don't see him the rest of the way for the New York Islanders in net the Penguins were able to beat him three times in game one only able to beat him once in game number four what do they have to do to get this guy off of his game uh get past their defense it's defensive game here so it's up to them to really you know create their chances that he's a beatable goalie it's just um that defense has looked good in front of them yeah they've certainly played a pretty good style of play to shut down the penguins desires and hopes of what they want to do in the offensive zone and that comes down to the first line what i think needs to happen because i already mentioned that the top players need to step up and specifically that first line needs to, to make a difference in game five they need to be the line that everybody looks to and says that's the reason the Penguins won the game. What they need to do is switch up what they like to do because what we saw on Long Island is the Islanders know exactly what that first line likes to do, and that's play with the puck below the net, wait for something to open up, and sh pass the puck from behind the net, get an opportunity on net, and and hope that you know they beat them usually blocker side or low glove side. And the Penguins haven't been able to do that because neither Rust nor Gensel have been able to really get comfortable in front of the net. The Islanders have just been bashing bodies and not letting them get set up. And for that to happen, they need to really just take control of that slot area. They need to switch up their game even so they open up the ice a little bit more, make the Islanders chase a little bit more to open that center box up because what the Islanders are doing is stacking four guys right in that house to shut down both Gensel and Rust and saying, all right, you can pass it to the point. That's fine. If it gets through all of us, we trust Sorokin to stop it. We're not going to let you have any shots in this area because that's where both Gensel and Rust thrive, especially when Crosby's playing with the puck behind the net, which is commonly referred to as his office. So the Islanders are not going to let the Penguins' first line play the game they want to play. The Penguins' first line needs to respond to that by switching up their game and trying to just not even confuse the Islanders, but trying to open up the game plan a little bit. Trying to show that, okay, Gensel can get open in a different area but still get a good shot off. Because every time I see Crosby send a puck to the front of the net, neither Gensel nor Rust is in any position to take that pass and get a shot on net. 
and it, it hasn't really worked. Most of the shots have been from the perimeter for the Penguins, and you're not going to beat a guy like Ilya Sorokin doing that. I, I get that he's a rookie for the NHL, but he's played so many years in the KHL. The guy is a stud. If you think otherwise, you're wrong. The guy is still a stud, and he's going to eat up all of those perimeter opportunities easily and just shut it down. So you need to get better high-scoring opportunities against this guy because otherwise exactly. you're not going to beat him. And if you ain't going to beat him, I'm not exactly sure how long Tristan Jari can hold the fort if you're not scoring goals in front of him. Now, the big question going into Game 5, we did see Mike Sullivan switch the lines a little bit in Game 4 in the third period. Do you switch the lineup at all going into Game 5? What lineup changes did he make? Made he made a couple different changes. I think McCann was brought up a little bit. I think Zucker was sent down on a line. He switched a lot of different things up. I think I saw Kapanen with Crosby at one point. There were a lot of changes that were made. Just trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. But what do you think, if if there's lineup changes to be made, what do you see him doing for Game 5? It's Lineup changes are difficult because... You want to do them at the right time, and the right time is not elimination game. Desperate, desperate situations where, okay, now none of you have chemistry. Go win this must-win game. Now would be the time to do it if he's going to do it. I just don't know what they would be, and I don't know what would work because we've had this lineup, this lineup, what we have, kind of marked out in our heads for weeks now. The biggest change I can think of, and it kind of hurts saying, is give Evan Rodriguez a shot somewhere. Yeah. Probably in Goudreau's position because that's where that's where it would be. I don't. We've had this lineup cemented in our head for so long. That's like the only spot, or at least it's definitely the first spot I could see getting changed. I just don't see a lineup change happening unless it's that. I would go a little bit further than that because Kasperi Kapanen plays on the right side of Evgeny Malkin, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So I think there's a couple small adjustments, and it does change the face of this lineup, but I think there are adjustments that if you need to switch back, you can switch back mid-game, and it won't hurt considering the players. I think Freddie Gaudreau, after a really good game one and a fairly good game two, has tapered off a little bit. Part of that might have been playing at the Coliseum. Part of that might be something else. But in a must-win game five, you're not waiting to see, especially when it's somebody that's going to either be scratched or not scratched. So I think you give Evan Rodriguez an opportunity considering how well he was playing at the end of the season when he came back from his uh, before he got injured and of course coming back at the in the last game of the season I believe it was his first game back so I think you give Evan Rodriguez a chance over Freddie Gaudreau Rodriguez is a little bit faster he might not have the hands that Freddie Gaudreau has but that speed is going to be able to open some things up for that third line and a little bit more for Jeff Carter and, and in my opinion Jason Zucker I, I think you bump Jason Zucker down because I'm not saying that he's played poorly, but he has not been dangerous enough to be considered a second liner, in my opinion. And I also think you need to galvanize Jared McCann. So I think Jared McCann goes up on the first line, honestly, with Sidney Crosby. Put Jake Gensel on the second line with Malkin and throw Jason Zucker down on the third line. So basically, what I effectively did was through Gensel or sorry, threw McCann on the first line and bumped everybody else down on that yeah. left side. And on the right side, I just switched out Gaudreau and Rodriguez. It seems like it could be a lot because you're technically changing the face of three forward lines, but it's not too different, especially when you consider McCann has played with Crosby and had success with Crosby. Gensel and Malkin had a lot of success last season. See if that can actually help, help, uh, 
help. Can I speak English? Help right now because Malkin had a rough game four and Gensel has not had a good game in any of the, these four so far, basically, other than just blatantly shooting the puck off puck from anywhere. Try to get him galvanized. Zucker down on the third line with a speedy Rodriguez and Jeff Carter. I know you're kind of sacrificing Jeff Carter at that point, taking away two line mates that he's been pretty successful with, but you got to switch something up, I think, going into this. And Rodriguez is the minimum. And I think that whole left side configuration that I mentioned is probably the maximum. But I can see something along the lines of that. And I think that would help the Penguins kind of bounce back and get a little bit of a fresh look in this series. You wouldn't be sacrificing Jeff Carter. I mean, he's on a new team. It's not like he's built like the full the full amount of chemistry you can have with someone. You know what I mean? It's not like he's playing with an old teammate or something. It's uh He's on a new team, and he's probably, I mean, he's definitely not still learning everything, still not on the learning curve, but, um, I mean, I don't think it's that much of a sacrifice to give him two new lines yeah. real quick. It's just I think it just feels like process. a sacrifice mainly because of Mike Sullivan's philosophy of pairing up a winger and a center and then switching everything yeah. else off, because that would throw off two of the right. top three lines, his, his pairings, because we know... He likes Gensel Crosby together, and we know he's liked McCann Carter together because they've played together ever since Carter came to Pittsburgh. So if you switch those two things off, it is a little bit different, but I don't think it would be a bad switch. It might be a little too much, but again, that's something you can switch really easily in the second period of a game five. And if you're down, what, one to nothing and lines aren't working out, switch it back to a lines that have won you two of four games at this point. And I, I think that you'd still be in a pretty good space if you're Mike Sullivan. So I might be, you know, mega braining this big braining this entire discussion, but I think those moves would actually help galvanize the penguins in game five. I don't totally disagree. It's lineups are just weird, man. You just got to play the right way. And you, in hindsight, you'd assume any play, any forward can play with any other forward, right? I mean, they all kind of have the same job as a forward. That is, shoot the puck, put it in the net. Mm-hmm. You know, it's lineups are weird because people just have their little tendencies. So we, you just got to know what matches, and that's what Sullivan knows. So um, I'm not even sure if he will change anything because, again, this is the lineup we've just been waiting for. We finally got it. We've got two games of it. Now what? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's a very small sample size to be switching. But, I mean, that's the postseason for you. If you're not getting the results you want, then it has to change. And the last thing I want to mention about the lineup itself is, do you switch that fourth lineup? I know they had a down game from their standards in game four, but the first three games, they were one of the best lines at five-on-five for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I I know they only scored in game three a couple goals, but they played extremely well when the two teams were in Pittsburgh. They shut down that Barzell line. They're largely a reason that Barzell's lack of scoring has become a storyline. So do you switch that up or do you move? I would imagine Tanev is the only one to get bumped up in the lineup. Do you move him up in the lineup somewhere? I don't believe so. I think that fourth line's sticking no matter what, because just they didn't move it at all last year. That's true. Why would we, why would we do it this year? Nothing's changed with those three. They were all on pace to have these great offensive seasons. And then the wheel, not the wheels fell off, but they all got hurt. Mm-hmm. And 
the production of offense kind of stopped, so they kind of had to revert back to the defensive game. Now, I think those four, those three stay as is in the fourth line because that's just their role right now. They're it might be a little bit of a they might be a little dug into it, you know, a little too deep, but for for now it's fine. So, Hor, let's finish off this segment with a quick game five prediction. Who do you have winning this game? And if you have a score, lend us lend us your score and let us know what you think is going to happen in game five. God, it's got to – Penguins are going to win. They have to. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to. It, I just don't feel like it will be another – I just don't think it will be another boat race. Something's got to shut down somewhere. So, 3-1? 3-1? Empty netter? 3-1, yeah. I say 4-2 with an empty netter. I, I think it'll be 3-2 until the last minute of the play, and somebody will send down a full-length, you know, full-ice-length shot that goes into the net. 4-2 Penguins take the lead back. I think Tristan Jari bounces back a, a decent amount, giving up two goals still, but I think he plays pretty well. I think none of those goals go in the glove side. Just kidding. They, they might, but... Just uh, my the, the most bold, the easiest prediction I'll make is that we will be at the edge of our seats from puck drop to final whistle. Yeah, that's a pretty safe bet. I like that. But before we go to our next break, I want to check in on our playoff picks thus far. The Boston Bruins and Washington Capitals series, as we record this, the Bruins hold a 3-1 to series lead, getting set for game five tonight on Sunday night. In Washington, Horwat, you had the Caps in seven, Woo! so you're in pretty big danger of getting that one completely off. I had the Bruins in six, so I'm still fully alive in there, and quite possibly might get that correctly. Uh, you had the Penguins in five. Unfortunately, that is eliminated. You could still get the point for the Penguins, but the five-game mark, you won't. I had the Pens in seven, so still hope is alive for me there. Moving to the North Division, I predicted the Oilers to sweep. Oof! Big oof. That is not happening. Connor Hellebuck definitely has made sure that through the first two games. They play game three tonight in Winnipeg, so we'll see if Connor McDavid can actually do something. I remember I was excited to see Connor McDavid and what he can do in this first round. So far, he's put up zero points, so he hasn't done much. I was watching the NBC. I guess it was only on NBC. Watching Game Three, well, I forget which announcer it was said, "Who would have thought Connor McDavid had no would have no points after two? I just looked at my buddy and said, "I would have expected that." It's Connor McDavid in the playoffs. There, I said it. I Edmonton. mean, Connor McDavid in the playoffs last year was pretty good. It's just yeah, well, the guess rest what? Of the he lost. Wasn't. Yeah. Guess what? He has no points now. So. And you also had the Oilers in five, so that's not happening either. Yeah, well, you know, I expected more. <laughs> but, you know, the Oilers could come back and each give us a point. Because the way I'm scoring this is one point if we get the team correct, one point if we get the games correct. So we both lost the games there, but we could still get, if the Oilers can come back, we could still get the point there. Toronto and Montreal, I had Toronto in seven. You had them in six. The series is at 1-1, so it's it's anybody's game at that point. It's been a pretty decent game. Of course, you hate to see what happened to John Tavares, but the Maple Leafs were able to come back in game two and and really just blow out the Montreal Canadiens. So we'll see what game three looks like. Montreal finally having fans in the stands. That'll be interesting for game number three there. Let's move to the Central Division. You had the Tampa Bay Lightning in six. That's a pretty safe bet as of right now as they lead the series three to one. They have just completely steamrolled the Florida Panthers over the – at least the last game, the Panthers were able to win game three in overtime, but the Lightning just look like they're on another level. Now, Nikita Kucherov 
and Mikhail Sergachev left game number four with injuries. We'll see if they return for game number five, but they do have a firm grasp on that series with a three to one lead. Uh, yeah, they, the 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 lightning looks scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone needs to uh, take care of that. It doesn't seem like it's going to be the Florida Panthers. They just don't have enough defense, which makes my prediction of Florida in seven nice. a, a far fetch. It's still alive. They just have to win the next three games against the defending Stanley Cup champions. So it's not expected, but it, there's still a chance. You're telling me there's still a chance. The other series in the Central Division, I had the Carolina Hurricanes in five. They're currently up two to one in the series. You had the Hurricanes in four. Unfortunately, they're not going to switch. Switch. They're not going to sweep the Nashville Predators because the Predators won game three in double overtime thanks to Matt Duchesne. But they do still look at the way that they played at home. I think the Carolina Hurricanes are still going to win that series. I think they're still going to win it pretty handily. I think Nashville just got a boost from getting back in front of their, their fans. And it did take double overtime, but they were able to finally win a game over Alex Nedeljkovic. Nadelkovich has been pretty good this postseason. I mean, that's the question mark for Carolina, and he's played. Ex- I thought he's played extremely well. I think I more or less said, "Oh boy," about the uh, Nashville crowd. Eh, that's enough of those dweebs. That's a fair point. Let's move over to the West Division. The Vegas Golden Knights hold a three-to-one series lead over the Minnesota Wild. After the Wild took Game One, Vegas has stormed back to take three straight, including both games in Minnesota. You had. The Golden Knights in six. I had the Golden Knights in seven. So if the Wild can extend this series, we could possibly get the games correct. If Vegas closes it out in five, then we at least both correctly predicted Vegas. Oh, Flurry, you it doing you? Flurry is just standing on his head, letting Robin Leonard be able to just sit back also and relax. Just, a, just an awful goaltender interference call, by the way, that Minnesota won't shut up about, and rightfully so. That was a bad call. Yeah. Um, that led to a shutout, so... Oof. Yeah, it was a rough call. I- I'm not sure what goaltender interference really is anymore, and, and I'm not going to try to understand it and just hope that it doesn't egregiously affect the Pittsburgh Penguins at any point. If you ask Jari, it's every damn goal he lets in, it seems. At least in Although, game four. At, at this point, let's give it a shot, right? <laughs> we yeah. saw what they just called off. Yeah, if they called that off, that's that's makes it pretty ridiculous let's give it a chance i no, don't give it a chance we know how it works here and the only series that we predicted the same team and the same amount of games the colorado avalanche currently lead the series over the st louis blues three to nothing this hasn't been a close series if the blues can squeak out a win we could possibly both be right but i have a strong feeling that by the time any of you listen to this the Colorado Avalanche will be enjoying their extended break before the second round. I, I feel like they're going to finish off the clean sweep the way that this series has gone. You never know, though. Jordan Bennington has had stretches where he has played extremely well. Game one, for example, the Colorado Avalanche had 50 shots on goal. Yes, you gave up four goals, but, I mean, 50 shots on goal from, from the Avalanche itself is going to be hard enough. And I thought Jordan Bennington stood on his head to give his team any semblance of a chance in that game, but... Since then, it's just not been close at all. The Avs hold a 3 to nothing series lead. Philip Grubauer looks great. The Avs didn't even need a point from Nathan McKinnon, who scored five goals in the first two games of the huh. postseason, to win game three. So, yeah, I have a hard time believing St. Louis is going to come back 
it's pretty much impossible at this point. Can they win a game? Possibly. So we could we could be 100% correct, possibly. But realistically, I feel like by the time you listen to this, that series will be over. So we're kind of half good, half not good. I think we're, we're doing pretty poorly when it comes to the actual games that we've picked. But the teams that we've picked, not necessarily. I mean, you've picked the Capitals, which is not looking good right now. I've picked the Panthers, which is not looking good right now. And we both picked the Oilers, which is clearly not looking good at this moment. But other than that, we got the other five series pretty much in the bag. Other than the Penguin series, it's close. That's close. That's close. Yeah, no, I think we're okay. And uh, it's been a fun playoffs. It's been an entertaining playoffs. It's only been one week. It, it's weird to feel like it's only been one week of playoff hockey because it has been a great postseason so far. By the time we come to you next week with our next playoff check-in, I'm sure the first round will be pretty much over. We'll be getting ready to make our picks for the NHL second round, and hopefully the Pittsburgh Penguins are a part of that. But we're going to take one last quick break when we return our weekly Pens poll. Stay with us here on the tip of the iceberg. I'm Corey Francois. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. What did I just listen to? Oh, this game. This game is this game is just bullshit now. Oh my gosh. I actually they actually make me feel uncomfortable. What was it? Panty what? The game has gone to bullshit. Panty melted? Why do we record these during the middle of games? Oh, God. Be sure to listen to Corey and I every Monday. We are your go-to source for the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. We've had a really good episode here, breaking down Game 4, previewing Game 5, looking at all of our picks, whether they be good picks or poor picks for the NHL postseason so far, and how we've fared. But let's close it out with our weekly Pens poll, of course, Whenever we set up this poll, only one game had been played between the New York Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins in the postseason, and the Penguins lost that game on Sunday afternoon in overtime. So the question was, after one game, what is your prediction for the rest of the series? It's kind of fun to look back at this, too, and see how Penguins fans felt after one game, and now to see that we're tied 2-2. Pens in 6-7 and seven got 49% of the vote, so the overwhelming majority said Pens will win in six or seven games. That is still alive. That is still the only way the Penguins are going to win the series is if in, they win in six or seven. So it's nice to see that a lot of people had belief back then, and it, it's pretty much on track. So a pretty good prediction there by almost half of our listener base there. The second answer that got the most votes was Isles in four or five. Luckily, that is completely eliminated. That got 21% of the vote. Isles in six or seven got 20% of the vote. So technically, if you look at this in one way, 49% of our listenership said the Penguins were going to win in six or seven. 41% said the Penguins were going to lose this series. So if that doesn't perfectly encapsulate Pittsburgh Penguins fandom, (gasps) then I don't know what does. Half Half of this fan base is glass half full type of people. The other half of this fan base is glass half empty type of people. So this poll just, again, highlights that perfectly. And then, of course, last, Pens and Five got 10% of the vote, which makes sense. The Penguins to win four games in a row would have been a pretty tough feat. They were able to do two games in a row before dropping game four. So, unfortunately, that 10% of our listenership was not correct. But as of right now, Horwat, do you think the Penguins win this in six or seven, or do you think the Islanders take it? 
No, I don't think I undertake it. Mm -hmm. I do not think. I, I wouldn't think so, especially considering we both just said that we were predicting a Pens win in Game Five. <sighs> exactly, and that's kind of the big important piece to this. Um, unless we want it just to fall apart, which, again, I'm just excited. We've had more hockey than four games in the postseason. Mm -hmm. Got baby steps. Got to start somewhere. We're playing more games in the uh, in spring and summer. Um, I don't have too much else. I'm kind of at the end of my brain here. Uh, but, you know, I, I still believe in us. I still believe we can get the win. Home ice advantage is going to be huge, especially this year. We've gone over all this. So, yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. F it. Let's wrap it up in, in, in I almost said in Barclays, in Nassau. Let's wrap it up in Nassau. Take it in six. It'd be nice to be able to take it in six. Exactly what the Pittsburgh Penguins did in 2013. Everybody remembers the Brooks Orpic overtime winner that sent the New York Islanders home crying in that postseason. But I think the Penguins take care of this in six games. I think if you would have told me that this would come down to a best of three with the Penguins having two home games, including the possible, if necessary, game seven, I would say I'm pretty confident that the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to win that series, and I still am. I think they're the better team, and I think once you get into these bonus games, it's almost like the championship rounds in the UFC. Once you get there, it's a matter of who is better. No matter what happened in the first four games, it's a matter of who comes out, who makes the least amount of mistakes, and who plays better. And while the Penguins have made a lot of mistakes, especially in game four, I think overall they're the better team. If you look at the four games in total, They've controlled the pace of play and controlled the puck for the majority of those four games. And I think that's going to lend itself to a pretty successful last couple of games here for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think they're going to be able to win at home. And I think they'll be able to close out the Coliseum the rightful way that the Coliseum should be closed out with an Islanders loss. On its back, the way you're supposed to go out. Uh, I, I saw this tweet about a thousand times yesterday. It's... Uh, everyone predicted the Penguins in seven, but apparently don't want to see the two losses it takes to get there. It's very true. You're mm -hmm. predicting your team in a certain amount of games. It's got, they have to lose that amount of games too. So, yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, it sucks losing. You kind of, you, when you predict a Pens in seven or six or even five, you don't want to see them lose. You don't, you want to be wrong in that situation. You want to be wrong in the good way where it's, hey, we clean sweeped them. Well, um, no, well, we all predicted them at six or seven, so let's, like I said, we can finish it in six here. Yeah, it'd be nice for the Penguins to do that. It would definitely be nice for my heart <laughs> and for my health for the Penguins to win this in six because the seventh game between these two teams would certainly not bode well for anybody's health in the Pittsburgh or in the tri-state area there in western Pennsylvania. But luckily for the Pittsburgh Penguins, none of these games will be in the afternoon. Because it oh is a Monday, goodness. Wednesday, Friday slate, if necessary, for all three. And the Penguins will have to play probably 7, 7.30 starts, which bodes well for them considering how poorly they've played in the afternoons. And, I mean, look at this series split. If the game starts in the afternoon, the Penguins are 0-2. If the game starts at night, the Penguins are 2-0. So, if, if that's something you believe in, and that's a factor, then it, uh, something else that leans in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins going into Game 5. I'm so indifferent about the afternoon games. I really am. I, I, I think it's. You have to ask me how I feel about afternoon games during an afternoon game. I think. I don't because like them. I think my opinion changes on it every time. I think I'm always. I think I'm always like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Just kind of 
wake up, start my day with a game, and then have the rest of the day. Then, uh, whereas I'm the game, I'm like, well, this sucks. We mm-hmm. suck, and now I have the entire day to mope about it. I can't even go to bed and have it be a new day. I'd rather have the energy build up all day. That's for sure. Yeah. I like that. That feeling of we got all day to discourse and really get ready for this game. We can go through our work day. Know, listen to talk radio be wrong about a lot of things you can um prepare with like an early dinner get ready for it. i like the night games much more it's just yeah there is something decent about day games but it's not it's not very good day games are fine for the regular season for the postseason the only plus is that you don't have to wait so your anxiety doesn't just build that much but at the same time it's the playoffs it it needs a grand stage and the only grand stage in the, in the afternoon is usually horse racing. So I'd rather not have and golf, but also is golf really, really that grand of a stage on television? Let's not get into that. Oh, come on. The masters, the masters. Yes. But that's one weekend out of the year for the, for the NHL playoffs though. It's better to be played at night. And that's luckily what the penguins are going to do for the rest of this first round against the New York Islanders. Horwat, any last thoughts before we send the folks home? When, when we come back on Thursday, the series could be over. There's going to be three different outcomes for our episode on Thursday. Either the Penguins won in six, either the Islanders won in six, or we're getting ready for game seven on Friday night. Uh, my closing thoughts are I'm glad I was able to hold off for my Nazem Kadri rant. Mm, that's right. That, you did text me you wanted to do that. Yeah, I held off because it's not my place. Department of Player Safety sucks and i just don't want to talk about tom wilson anymore i really don't that's a fair point (laughs) um because hopefully by the time this episode goes up he is scheduling tea times and i can just be happy about that that being said i want i would like to schedule a tea time for myself i haven't golfed in a long time and also go pens uh finish it up in six every good arena has to go out on its back right At least that's what you're saying. But that's going to be it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. When we come to you again, like I said, one of three things. Either the Penguins will have won the series, the Islanders will have won the series, or we're getting ready for Game 7 in PPG Paints Arena on Friday night. So let's hope the Penguins get the work done so we can talk about moving on to the second round. But unless that doesn't happen, we'll be excited to talk about a Game 7. But that's going to be it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you to everybody that tuned in. Have a good one, Pence fan. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.